From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, January 8th, and you're listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald in for Tony Fratto this week, and I'm joined here as always by John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. We also have my HPS colleague, Brian DeAngelis, joining us to go over some of the political implications from this past week. A happy new year. Welcome to season three of the HPS Macrocast. It's, I will say that this week has made it hard to discern whether 2020 just keeps going on and on and on, or whether we are actually in a new year. Um, It's been another week of chaos um, and doesn't really feel like we've turned the page on last year. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case for a little while, but we'll We'll go through all of that in a very busy week that was. Um, today was jobs day, but that's that's kind of the um, capstone of a week of tons of activity. We had um, the conclusion of the Georgia runoffs toward the beginning of the week that resolved Democratic control of the Senate. We had uh, the a extremely long uh, day of... Um, uh, acceptance of the electoral votes in the Capitol with a a Donald Trump rally incitement to riot and followed by a storming of the Capitol in which I think at the latest count, uh, four people died. Um, we poli- followed- uh, police officer died today, so it's five. Yeah, um, including uh, including one person who was shot uh, during the riots. Um, We've had we've had a subsequent to that. We had a video released from the president who's been banned from most of his social media platforms. There's talk of invoking the 25th Amendment impeachment. We'll get to all that. Um, But today is Jobs Day. We do have news on that. Uh, December jobs numbers. We lost 140,000 jobs in December. This is the first loss since April and really the beginning of the pandemic. Unemployment was unchanged at 6.7%. Brendan, what did you see in the numbers there? I think there was three big uh, events in kind of that encapsulate the the reality of the job market. Uh, One, massive losses in leisure and hospitality. It was uh, almost 500,000 people lost their job there. You don't have to overthink that one. We've shut down a lot of the economy, so you can't go to bars and restaurants and whatnot. Um, and then we also um, lost about 50,000 jobs at the state and local level, uh, which we'll get into later. But, um, you know, in the in the relief bill, they uh, they they cut out uh, the uh, state and local uh, funding. So you're starting to see losses, you know, at at. Um, in education uh, and then cops and uh, and firefighters have to be laid off. And then uh, also with the, the wages. So average, average, average hourly earnings were up, um, but it, it's really um, a, a statistical anomaly because so many of the 500,000 people that lost their jobs were lower wage. They come out of the calculation so their lower contributions are taken out and you just have the, the higher um, wage earners. Uh, so it, it really is, is the, the reality is the opposite. If people yeah. are losing their jobs and, and going to zero, not the people are making more money. Yeah, the wages is a, com- is a composition effect. It's exactly. basically you take out, you know, you take 
you take out of the averaging lower wage earners who no longer have jobs and the average goes up, but that's yeah. not good. If news. you have two seven foot people and a four foot person and the four foot person gets taken out, the average yeah. becomes seven feet tall. Yeah. I feel like the, um, I feel like the jobs, I mean, we talked about this during last jobs day, but I feel like the, the fact that, you know, we're not really gonna, that this is that we're kind of looking at status quo on the jobs front until we get past in some form, the pandemic. Um, exactly. And I feel like after a week of chaos is that this is just another reminder of the slow moving disaster of the pandemic that continues to plague the country. And really the only solution is at the federal level. No one else has the money to, to be able to help. On the economic front. On yeah. the economic front. We're, we're yeah. battling a, a, a virus that means that you're not supposed to interact with other people. So the only way to keep small businesses alive is, is at the, the, the federal level. There's just, you need a, you know, trillions of dollars to do this. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, uh, fundraising going on, you know, like Barstool Sports raised $20 million, which is great, but it's completely irrelevant. That's, we need yeah. a couple more zeros on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes the case for the, the low-wage workers you were talking about, the last stimulus, the debate over $600 versus $2,000 extended unemployment insurance. I mean, I think this is where you'll see a uh, new president and Democratic majorities take up in January, but we're yeah, and I think the reason that we're going to have, yeah, vaccine. I think the reason we're going to have a, a Senate run by the Democrats is because the Georgian voters were mad that the, the Republicans blocked uh Block mm-hmm. that aid. That's right. Not the full story, but I think it's part of it. Yeah. Let's talk about. Um, I, let's talk about the political uh, side of this week. I mean, we we had a resolution on Georgia. Um, well, it, that that took actually a couple of days for kind of final results. Um, no, it was quicker than we thought. Uh, Georgia's done an amazing job. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the. I mean, the reality is that, like, I, you know, I think the, I think, um, I think the Purdue race was called as McConnell was giving a speech on the floor about the importance of preserving the republic. I mean, yep. it has been a wild week from a political perspective. Um, we saw the president of the United States inciting a riot and that resulted in the invasion of the Capitol. Um, you know. It's I it's it's weird to see people trying to discern and quibble over whether this was a coup or an insurrection or a riot or a mob or what appellation you apply to it. But it was just I mean, it was the most it was the craziest and uh, most radical political moment I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, Confederate flag. Yeah. In the in the halls of Congress. Yeah, I, the whole, I mean, the whole thing was was completely insane. Um, you know, it, it it's funny the when um, the first thing I did after the uh, it might have been like a week after the election last fall was I turned off my Twitter notifications for Donald Trump, which was which is probably my like my little you bit that of, long. Well, you, you had know, to. like you listen, had to before. Yeah, it was part. Yeah, of like I, sure. you know, it's just you. You know, he he used that platform to drive the news, and uh, it was I found it quite cathartic to just check check that one off for 2020 uh, last fall. But 
But it was notable watching coverage over the period of time when all this went on, when his accounts, his social media accounts were suspended and like, you know, the raging megaphone of Donald Trump became a bit of a black hole over that period of time. And um, the pause was certainly welcome. Um, There's been, because of his incitement, there's been talk of invoking the 25th Amendment. Um, You know, you have uh, Vice President Pence carrying out his duties under, um, you know, continued um, beratement by the president. You've had, as of right now, as of this recording, there's been um, at least two cabinet members and several other senior members of the uh, administration that have resigned. You have um, Democrats in Congress looking at impeachment for a second time, though the timetables on both of these add a question of practicality. Well, Um, so interesting point on the impeachment. So they're saying they could do it in six to seven days. But most importantly, uh, constitutional scholars have, I'd say that you can impeach a president after he's out of office, which then bans him from ever running for Congress again. So I think one way or the other, we're, we're impeaching him. We're definitely going to impeach him. Whether it makes it through the Senate is the, is the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah other- I would agree. I think the House does it before the inauguration, and then that'll be the debate, whether the Senate ever actually picks it up. Yeah. I mean, I would add to that the question of, of prosecution generally. I mean, I, I think yeah. that, you know, some of the early, we, we should note um, the president released a video saying, I, I, you know, I, it's probably as close to a concession speech as we're going to get, but saying that there will be a transfer of power. I forget if he said there will be a peaceful transfer of power. That's something that um, he clearly didn't facilitate. Probably the, I mean, that's going to be the, that may be the blackest of black marks on a presidency that will probably go down in infamy. It's early to write the history on everything, but I mean, this, this week has been dark to say the least. And the peaceful transfer of power is the foundation of the democracy. The, um, you know, I, when you look at, when you look at that final discussion that, or that final video, it does seem like the, the one thing that has cowed him over time or that he's had concerns on or is prosecution. So now you're having, you're seeing conversations on like his self-pardoning, which is, you know, a massive constitutional question. I don't think that it is, I am assuming that in addition to impeachment, I think that a Biden administration, Brian, I'm curious for your perspective on this. I think that a Biden administration that seemed like, um, incoming President Biden was was looking to turn the page. It's not clear to me that given this week that there won't be a serious look at um, the possibility of prosecution a- a- across perhaps multiple dimensions. I think that that's very much on the table. It's not clear to me that right. resignation isn't still on the table if he thought there was some sort of way he could resign and get a pardon. Yeah, I'll start with that last point. It would not shock me at all if if he leaves the presidency in the next few days um, with some kind of hope that that Pence then pardons him, Um, because I think there'll be a lot of questions. He's got a part of first. Um, That's right. He's he supposedly has a list, but I I think you're right, Matt. I I went into this week thinking that Biden would look to turn the page that others, you know, there, there's cases up in, in New York, there's, there's other issues would, 
focus on the prosecution of the president outside of some of the federal but those issues. Cases but you can't be pardoned from. You cannot be pardoned from a. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think that the, I think both this Justice Department is going to look at several of these rioters and the folks involved in it, in, including Giuliani and others who spoke at those rallies. And I expect the new AG nominee, Merrick Garland and others will, will allow those to proceed. Um, I don't think you'll see Biden, you know, at the podium demanding prosecution of the former president, but he's gonna let his justice department follow the law. And that could lead to prosecutions of a lot of the president's inner circle, if not himself. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's correct. All right, well, that's it. So. There's been a lot to cover. Let's take a quick break. I do want to look at where um, policy is going, where the markets are going. Um, There's more to talk about in what happened this week than we have time for, but um, it is the first podcast of 2021. So we should look, we should also look at the year ahead. Uh, We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at marketspolicy. All right, we're back with the HPS Macrocast. This is uh, Matt McDonald. I'm joined with uh, Brian DeAngelis, my colleague from Hamilton Place Strategies, and John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. So we talked a little bit about the chaos this week in Washington, in in the news generally, and all the activity. Um, John, what what were the markets doing during this week, and how did they respond to all of this? I think the the markets were while everything was transpiring in the Capitol and the terrible scenes of of disorder and violence were disturbing and distressing. The markets were marching to all-time highs. U.S. equities uh, were, uh, were up to start the day and maintained, uh, maintained gains even as situation uh, deteriorated at downtown in Washington, D.C. and at the Capitol and, and closed the day with really robust gains and continued higher. Uh, and this is really two takes on this. You know, we've seen this dynamic through a lot of very bad months of the pandemic uh, with markets charging higher here, and it's on, on one score, it does seem sort of indecent and uh, plays to the worries about the rich getting richer uh, and the pandemic uh, exacerbating inequality here. There's also the there's also the the viewpoint that this really is proof positive that markets are drunk on liquidity. And uh, and monetary stimulus has deadened, along with other things like like passive investing and algos and the Robin Hood crowd, has deadened fundamental price discovery to such an extent that even the horrifying events of Wednesday can't move the needle in terms of uh, in terms of selling off stocks. And and I think that that's you know those are those those are legitimate uh, those are legitimate takes, but that doesn't that doesn't uh, completely overbalance the fundamental rationale for some of this. And you could see it on Wednesday, the markets were up after the Georgia runoff results and they were up very smartly. And this is because the unified government 
under the Democrats is expected to deliver a much more muscular degree of fiscal support, both in the near-term stimulus and in the longer-term investment categories. And this comes in, a, in an environment where there's extreme division within the Republican Party as well. Those narrow majorities, the narrowest of majorities in, in the Senate that the Democrats are enjoying here uh, are, uh, are against a, a, a GOP caucus that is as divided as, as I think anybody can remember. That's, that points to the ability, I think, of the Biden administration to be able to get through bigger and beefier spending packages because we've seen some of the populist Republicans in the, in the Trump faction going for that. Uh, right. But the, the, as divided as the GOP is right now, they'll certainly be able to circle the wagons to oppose tax hikes. <laughs> and, and with a very narrow uh, Democrat majority, the kind of tax increases that they can get through their moderate wing are, you know, diminished, I, I think, in the in the view of Wall Street. So you have this uh, and, and against the backdrop of, of course, the resurgence in covid and the terrible uh you know, damage that that our country has gone through here is putting uh, the the viewpoint. Market participants are are really trying to look ahead uh, to the coming quarters when these uh, these uni the unified government creates a more coherent and pro growth environment down the road. And that's what we've that's what we've seen this, this week, boosting market spirits amid all the darkness. This does feel like the uh, I, I don't know how you phrase it. It's the most closely divided total control of the two branches yeah. of government that I, I I can recall. It's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. And it is it's interesting to think about what uh, what the priorities look like and what that implies in terms of the ability to um, get things done. You know, I think J John is describing a market perception of like a, from a market's view, a Goldilocks uh, pro-growth window where, you know, the, the, what the markets would see as the most positive kind of fiscal stimulus is likely to happen. And what would be presumably a drag in terms of tax policy is likely to be limited in this context. But Brian, you've spent time on both sides. What? Yeah, it, and, uh, and that's an important point because we always we're focused on the Senate, but the, the House is is really just as 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 tight. You know, lobbyists told me like you can pick off five congressmen on any bill. Yeah. yeah, but although I'll say I think that's where it will get tricky. So I I think you all are right. We hit the Goldilocks uh, for for the markets, but that's probably only for the first quarter or so. I think they'll get. $2,000, you know, checks out. I think they'll get a stimulus package. I think they'll get infrastructure. And then we'll get to that point where, where the progressive side of the, the party starts to get itchy and they start demanding the more um, aggressive policy platforms that they wanted to see with control, full control of government. Um, that'll get hard. And I think the House in particular will be fascinating to watch as you know, AOC and that squad wing of the party, you know, those votes now matter even more than they did last Congress because Pelosi can't really lose anything. Yeah. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, Biden has uh, held off on naming some pretty important regulators 
And with 50 votes, he'll now be able to go where he wants to go on or where the party wants him to go on CFPB, on SEC, on some other important financial folks where a Republican Senate may have forced him to moderate that. He's now got, you know, the 50 votes he needs to do what he wants. There's another interesting dimension to this, too. And I think you see the beginnings of it on the SALT debate where, mm-hmm. you know, contra, yeah. contra, contra like typical norms, you have Democrats arguing for what are in effect are lower taxes, mostly on higher income individuals. And you have Republicans kind of holding the line on uh, less tax breaks on in terms of SALT. You know, it is going to be Pelosi had put that in the in the first the the first relief bill, right back in November, right? I, I think yeah, Pelosi I had think included right. uh, salt uh, yeah. in in one well, of salt's, the salt's yeah. been something that they've been they've been pushing for a while. I would just say that there is a listen as the Democratic Party moves toward a higher educated constituency as suburbs become more of a base for the democratic party, the, even as you have, um, you know, an ascendant progressive wing is that the, the tax issue is going to start to cut in multiple ways for now core constituencies for the party. So it's, you know, even as uh, even as like the rhetoric has moved in that direction, I'm not sure where the political reality starts to land on some of those issues. Um, I will say on the other uh, to the other side is that I do think that over, say, the past decade is that the repeated my view, the repeated lesson that Democrats seem to take away is like when you have all the levers of power, it's time to use them and perceptions that you you miss that window i think have haunted the party a little bit rightly or wrongly i I don't know that that's necessarily explicitly true but i think that that is the perception um so i think that the pressure especially from progressives especially from people who view their seats as safer is going to be to go big yeah i think that's big on climate change i think that's big on some issues that tend to fade during an election, but are very important to the base, you know, gun control dominated Mm -hmm. conversation for, for a long time, last Congress, and then sort of disappeared a little bit in November. But, you know, I think you'll see issues like that come back and they'll say, this is our time to do something and try to put it, put it on uh, some Republicans too, who, you know, they don't have an easy map in 2022. McConnell's got 20 plus seats, to defend. He's got several folks who are, you know, pushing 90 and, and might likely retire. Mm-hmm. And that's North Carolina, that's Pennsylvania, that's other places where Democrats are starting to compete. So let me ask you on these issues. So we know in in the year 2021, you have two opportunities to pass things through reconciliation. Is there anything that you think could could just get 60 votes? And not have to do reconciliation? Um, yeah, I certainly think a stimulus or an infrastructure package could get I 60 votes. I agree. I, I think there's... But you have to keep it narrow. You can't tack on other progressive... Um... C- correct. Yeah. And that's where you keep an eye on the House. Because I, 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 there'll be some pressure in the Senate. But 
that house uh, makeup is, is, as Matt said, very tight. Yep. And the house, you know, regardless and, and they of also, he appointed three more congressmen. Yeah. It's even tighter in the beginning because the, the three that are in the administration, th- those seats need to be filled. Right. Right. And keep in mind, I, I forget the number. Someone can help me out. But I think it was 120, you know, House Republicans that still voted to object. Uh, post riot to yeah. some of those things. So I mean Trump's still got a very loyal base there as well. Yeah, and and the Democrats lost a lot of seats in, in the yes. in the midterm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not the midterm, the, the election. So, you know, if you're kind of in a in a in a purplish state, you're not going to want to go too crazy in terms of progressive uh, agenda. I mean, yeah, and a- it feels like a lifetime ago, but you know, we remember the um Spanberger versus AOC, Connor Lamb fights yep. right after the election of like, who, who's to blame for these losses? Did we go too far left? Did we not go left enough? Yeah. You know, and that's, that'll come back. That didn't go away because. I, you know, the other thing I'll say on the, on the dynamics on the Republican side is that toward, relevant to our conversation on stimulus is that, you know, the compositional effects are not just about like, the wage numbers in the jobs report is that you have a compositional effect with populism and the movement of educated voters and all this sort of stuff. And you saw this with the debate on the two thousand um, dollar checks in the Republican side. Is that 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 the Republican Party has a has become a much more populist party than it was in the past? And I think that there will be issues, especially on the stimulus side, like that issue where, you know, when, if the Biden administration wants to push on different dimensions, they're going to be pushing on an open door on that side too. That's right. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit about uh, what's to come. On the first Friday of every month, HBS analyzes the latest jobs and labor market data in a digestible format. Sign up for our reports at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or on Twitter at HPS Insight. All right, we're back on the HPS Macrocast. Let's let's talk a it's probably a uh, it's probably a fool's errand to talk about the rest of 2021 at this point, but let's talk a little bit about uh, what's to come in January and what we should expect. We have uh, the presidential inauguration, we have the the countdown of the death throes of the Trump administration. Um, there will be, you know, uh, Congress, I guess is supposed to be out of session, but um, given the events, there may be movement to come back to initiate impeachment proceedings. Um, you know, t- normally at this, uh, at this stage, we'd be, there'd be more discussion of like getting a jumpstart on a Biden administration agenda. But um, as has been the case throughout, uh, Trump is the one who just won't go away. Um, so, uh Brian, what do you expect on all those fronts over the over the coming weeks from just kind of a what's what the priorities will be? Yeah, well, starting with that last point, just a quick comment. I think uh, Biden will be one of the first presidents, at least in a long time, to start with with no cabinet officials confirmed, um, which is fascinating. But I um, I do think, you know, that the events of this week are going to cause some action in Congress, I think. The House will come back next week. I think they will impeach. Um, practically, I do think time is not on anyone's side with that. So I think the Senate will run out the clock till election day. Um, and and the question is 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 there any sort of 
deal that that Trump cuts where, you know, he disappears a little early and gives uh, Pence a couple of days as as president. Um, I'm not convinced yet. I think he hangs out, but uh, I do think he gets impeached and goes down in history as the only president to be impeached twice. Wait, okay, so so he gets impeached. And then we had the conversation before about whether if he's convicted after the fact, there are certain implications. Do you think that do you think that the beginning of the beginning of the Biden administration is an impeachment trial in the Senate for Donald Trump? Uh, I, I forget the rules, but I don't think the Senate has to ever pick it up. Is that right? So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that, that, that just, happened the last time. McConnell they just sat on it for a while. Yeah. So I think he just impeached. But McConnell's not going to be the majority leader. Right. Yeah, because it's dependent on Trump being the president. So Schumer will take it up on the 21st or whatever, maybe 20th. Poor Biden. This is the guy that just won't go away. Can't get rid of him. Well, that's right. That's right. Poor Schumer. uh, Already facing a primary, John. Yes, that would be tough, I guess. It's an interesting vote for Republicans this time because you have the power to get rid of Trump. He, if you convict him, he can't be president ever again. And and you don't have to deal with it in 2024. Well, I, I don't know that you don't have to deal with it, but I do think that there's a little bit of like a... He can be a kingmaker, but he can't be president. Well, the interesting... I mean, my, I don't know. The interest... It's, this is obviously a complex dynamic, but there is a little bit of like emperor has no clothes, punch the bully in the face theory to all of this is that you know if if you if you drive trump approvals down to like you know the sub 20s i forget he's probably in like the mid 20s or something now if you if you drive it down that far you know he increasingly becomes less of a factor or there's a marginalization that that happens there i mean there's a lot of bandwagon effect in politics and right um it, you know, someone can seem invincible until they're completely not, right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it, Schumer would whether it's a, a decision. 17. I think there's ten. I think there's ten Republicans that would vote to. Well, that's convict. what I was just about to say. Yeah, that's you don't. You don't enough. need all all forty nine. You just need ten. No, you need seventeen. You need. Oh, to, it's seventeen. Uh, you, need you need a majority. Yeah, two thirds. Two thirds. Okay. So. I don't think it happens in the Senate. I don't think he's. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. All right. So, all right. On the record, everyone, do you think that Donald Trump will be president up until the moment that uh, Joe Biden is sworn in? What do you think? No, I think he resigns a couple days early simply because he wants to fly on Air Force One back home. And if on the 20th, he would have to ask, um, he would have to ask Biden to, to do it. So he'll he'll resign a couple days earlier. <laughs> I'm I'm going with Brendan, but for the different, you know, the more conventional resign and be pardoned by vice Biden. That'll be part of it too. Defense. But I think the Air Although, Force One is you know his more the his factor. level of his level of trust. He's going to have to take a leap of faith that Pence actually comes through. <laughs> Pence is Pence is not happy right now. Oh man, those are those are cold yeah. knives. If that one <laughs> went, went went down. Uh, based on this conversation, I'll I'll go with resign as well because I think he'll he'll try to get out of the way before Democrats have the power to even. Yeah, try he just to doesn't him. want to be part of the inauguration. So, That's just right. for that, he'll just resign early so he can get the hell out of town. 
right. no, can keep Democrats. Not allowed to live at Miralago. So everyone, uh, everyone who knows me has known that since the beginning of the Trump presidency, I have always and consistently called a 50-50 shot that he ends his term at all, right? And so <laughs> you, my, you can cash in on your bet. Actually, my, that's interesting. Vegas probably could lose a lot of money on that if he resigned yeah. a so my, early. Yeah, my, my, uh, my take, I think he does resign. I think he resigns like as late as he possibly can. Like I bet, and this is, I bet Donald Trump resigns the morning that of the inauguration day. And the, it's like a, a, he does a, uh, there's like a swearing in of Pence right before Biden is inaugurated. I think he, and, and he tries to take the pardon. I think that the, I don't think that he wants to deal with the legal side of all the, investigations that could cascade down and i think that if he i think his like it's his last bit of uh reality television for the political circus he would step on joe biden's inauguration which would make him happy and he would like have the have the legal uh confidence in that and you wouldn't really have headlines you wouldn't really have headlines on a President Pence, yeah, which clearly Trump yeah. doesn't want. Um, I do, John. I do think that, like the question traditionally, of does, Matt, they they meet the day before, right? And the president elect stays at Blair House, and yeah. I, I think you're right. I think Trump avoids all of that. That's, yeah. that's ah, I got a buyer. I got a buyer. No, that's I my that's base right. case. I think he just wants to avoid any of the transition, and he wants to be able to fly on Air Force One to Florida. And he will never stand next to Biden. He won't. He doesn't. He'll never stand next to him. No, he's petty. I do think that John's point is right, though. Is that I think that I do think that, like, I think that what Trump would try to do is to jam Pence on the whole exercise. Is literally have Mm -hmm. Pence be at president for hours, have the pardon and paperwork drawn up, be in the room together where all the pressure is to bear and that like there's a guaranteed agreement that that he'll like sign in or he'll be sworn in and then sign on the dotted line for the pardon and then that's it that's the end of the administration that's how he goes out i do think there's a question of whether pence goes along with the whole thing like i think that if trump resigned now pence might go along with it I think that if Trump does the yeah. the like pressure play for the final day, which I I wouldn't I wouldn't wouldn't shock me. I'm not sure that Pence goes along yeah. for like the. But I still think Trump that. does it, ir- irrelevant of the. the yeah, if Pence part. doesn't agree to it, I think he tries to do a self pardon. Yeah, though the most important sure. question is, if if it plays out like that, will sixth graders have to remember Pence as a president? Is he the? the I was 44th? just thinking that my kids have the little ruler with all the president's faces on it. I'm like, do we yeah. add Pence in there? I mean, I guess technically he was president. Twenty-one to twenty-one. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you know when you're uh, when Reagan had surgery. You know, technically that, that was a, a place where yeah. this time he's actually the president of the United States. Yeah, I know. Yeah. the The closest analog is probably like I don't know. Wasn't there like a King of England where who was? did that for a few hours before he abdicated or whatever. 
I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, this would be the final precedent for Trump to shatter as he right as he leaves a leaves a turd in the Oval Office on his way out the door. Yeah. All right. Well, if uh, if that all comes to pass, you heard it here first, and I will gloat incessantly for <laughs> months on end. So everybody should hope that doesn't happen. No, I'm gonna do some research on if Vegas is gonna lose some money if that happens. Well, that's a good question. Does that count in the odds? Would they? I mean, I mean, he's technically resigned, right? He did, yeah. All right, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks ever, to everybody for listening. This is the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald with Hamilton Place Strategies and my colleague Brian DeAngelis. Thanks to John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners. Have a great weekend. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.